16 years old, the front rows, Scott Parker, Chris Carr, Ricky Graham, Will Davis. It's like, really? 16, this is, this is what I got to deal with. So, I, you know, it's nice to have that stepping stone. These guys build their confidence and learn the track versus just going out there and getting crushed week in and week out. Episode 13, Tank Slapping Podcast. Lucky number 13. Back at it. Podcast going on still. A lot of stuff isn't going on in the world, but we're back. Episode 13, Jake. What uh, What's new with you? Uh, not much, really. Same old, same old. Just uh, quarantining. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I kind of broke the rules a little bit. Went out and did a little bit of riding uh, last week. Rode some mini bikes with your brother-in-law. Uh, Briar, yeah, we stayed we stayed six feet apart. Don't worry. Then rode some rode some trials bikes yesterday, uh, so that was fun. Yeah, so got a little bit of riding. Nothing nothing crazy, but uh, yeah, I was starting to go insane. So I uh, was able to get out and do a little riding, and you know, kind of hold me over for a little bit anyway. Yeah, I hear you. I have a, a membership to like a, a club motocross track near me, and they gave me a key for it, and I can go ride whenever I get a chance to go ride. Uh, Candy Town Motorcycle Club is the name of it. So I go up there maybe once or twice a week and just spin laps on the motor track, ride the pit bike in the backyard with Cruz. He's starting to rip around pretty good on his uh, electric bike. So riding a little bit, but it's just not the same. I I want to turn left. I want to see some green lights, but yeah, we're still still uh. Going out of here, uh, quarantined up, and not much going on. But tonight's guest, really excited about, J.R. Schnabel, Glenn. Pretty excited to have J.R. on. He was one of those top guys when I turned pro. He was one of the fastest guys on the series, and just just the man. Like, won so many different races, good on all types of racetracks. Uh, just an animal, Jake. Yeah, yeah. I got a chance to be teammates with him back in... What was it? Oh, seven and oh eight uh, on Suzuki. So, you know, before that, I didn't know Jr. very well. And uh, I don't know. He's always kind of a quiet guy, you know, quiet off the track. But I mean, the guy was always a beast on the track. Um, the guy was just an animal. We we, uh, we nicknamed him Bam Bam just because he was he would just destroy motorcycles. He could break a half riding it through the pits like he was just just that gnarly but um no we, we actually had some fun times together and uh you know got to know him a little better and uh you know had some fun at the at the race shop um after some races and i got some pretty funny stories to bring up uh see if jr remembers but uh but yeah i mean like i said the guy was an animal they, they nicknamed uh the, the springfield arena the the tt and short track jr's joint for a little while because he pretty much won everything that was there for probably three or four years so uh yeah it'd be good to hear from him um yeah i haven't heard from him in a while i, I saw him a couple years ago uh when i was in milwaukee um when i rode for harley we got to see him in his little cubicle at uh at uh, the, uh you know the harley office in milwaukee so uh that's the last time i got to see him or talk to him so uh looking forward to it yeah, for uh, those that don't know, J.R. Schnabel was a top flat track racer, but he also 
works for Harley Davidson. He's worked for them for a long time. I guess he still works for him. We'll have to check in with him. But before we get too farther down the road here, I want to thank our sponsors and really appreciate, you know, these companies and, and people for helping us out. And me and Jake, we're not making a lot of money right now with no racing going on. And it's just really cool that these companies are helping us out and keeping this show going. And Grenzer Motorsports is a big one. They're a Harley Davidson and Indian motorcycles service performance and pre-owned sales dealership in Elkhart, Indiana. They have 55-plus years of experience running a dealership, and they are also the sponsor of the Coolbeth Nilla race team with rider Sammy Halbert. Visit their website at GrenzerMotorsports.com. Shout-out to uh, Charlie, Lou, uh, Coleman, all this, all the family for uh, for being part of this talk show. And also uh, coming back for a sponsor, pretty stoked to have him on board again, is Mike Hacker with Presidential Mortgage. If you need a home loan, refinance, or home equity line of credit, Contact Mike at Mike.hacker at presidential.com. Mike is one of those guys who gets the job done. Give him a ring and let him go to work for you. So shout out to those people for helping this show go and make sure you guys hit them up and thank them for supporting the sport. Otherwise, not a heck of a lot going on, Jake, right now. No race news that I've seen. The only race news that I've seen really is the um, flat track xbox uh i racing thing that I, i've kind of followed a little bit and me and chris carter actually just downloaded the game for ps4 and i've been playing it and i don't know how some of those guys go as fast as they do playing that damn video game but i just can't figure this this damn rossi game out have you played it at all yeah yeah i've uh actually got it when it came out it's, i guess a couple years old now but yeah i got ps4 and i i mean i haven't played it i think i got the game and played it you know, for a week and haven't touched it since. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I when I saw that, I kind of wanted to get in on it. But I guess I don't know. I mean, we're struggling with technology on the the, the podcast at times. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I guess the PS4 and Xbox, you can't cross play or something. And you got to buy a membership. Yeah, I don't know. Just me just and wait Carter, we're starting a PS4 version. Okay, like, gonna- I'm in. I'm in. Kind of like a, it's probably a B league because the, a, the tank all the slapping, guys have Xbox. So the tank slapping cup. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at it. I man, I I don't know what I can do differently. I feel like I'm doing everything perfect. I'm still like two seconds off of what the fast like most of the fast guys that play for Xbox are like 12 year old kids. So uh, it's it's pretty annoying. It's uh. Yeah, I'm not much of a gamer anymore, but it's fun, man. It's super realistic, and there's a flat track and the TT, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. So been uh, practicing that a little bit, trying to get my racing fix. Um, but, yeah, I pretty much suck at it, so got to keep practicing. Yeah, let's, let's call J.R. Schnabel. I, uh, I haven't talked to him in a while. Let, let's get him on the line, and let's see what the hell he's been up to. Hello. JR, Corey Texter, Jake Johnson here, Tank Slapping Podcast. How you doing, man? Doing well. How's it going, guys? Oh, doing it's good. good. It's it's been a while since we've uh, heard from you. What what you what have you been up to? That's a that's a broad question, but what's what's going on? Uh, work, family, which is good, both <laughs> good. Um been I've been you know, I've, I've been riding, staying active. Um did a little bit of racing last year, always riding on the ice, so Staying busy, and it, you know, it, it's one of those where I gotta watch because I don't want to get out there too much and then uh, get hooked back into it. But I want to want to stay involved and have some fun still. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like I know Jr. a little bit, and yeah, I feel that's uh, you get out there riding too much. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you're gonna want to get back and uh, probably know how Kim feels about that. And uh, 
Probably probably don't want to have to have that conversation at dinner, huh? <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's it's that and just knowing all the all the right things too. With you know, it, unfortunately, I got old. Um, you know, and it, even when I uh, you know was starting to to wind down at the end, it was it was getting tougher. You know, to to go to work every day and then try to keep up with everything and results were slipping a little bit. So it was just it was it was good. You know, it was it was time to be done uh, with pro racing. But the good thing is is still get to do a lot of riding and a lot of people coming out at the house doing riding um once this coronavirus ends and you know sell the track and to keep that uh, updated pretty nice so a lot of uh, a lot of guys come out and we have a, you know have a good time yeah i mean let's get right into it i mean i know you won a bunch of races when you were an amateur um i thought i heard along the lines that you have the most career amateur national championships or something but um talk a little bit about your your amateur career and uh who exactly like did you battle with back then and any big rivals as an amateur that kind of you saw at the track every weekend yeah, amateur race, it was great, you know, and I I, I just loved it because uh, my family, I feel like they did it the right way, you know, dad bought the camper and um, you know, mom, sister would go along and so everybody was into it, you know, my uncle was doing a lot of my bike work along with my dad and, you know, we had, we had a shop and everything, so uh, it was great and yeah, we had uh, won 34 amateur nationals uh, for dirt track and uh, lately I've added two because they made the ice series, the ice race here, an amateur national in the last two years I've won that, but uh the the great thing going doing doing that is uh you know just the family time and then you know all the people you get to meet when you you know you do the local races and then some races around the midwest and then everybody gets together you know the you know for the amateur nationals it was always great and there were so many good guys that came up and all the way through um you know had great pro careers too you know of course everybody knows you know the haydens and you know coming up and racing with them but you know kenny coolbeth and um paul lynch johnny murphy um, Sean Russell, I mean, the list went on and on Billy Martin. There was just so many guys that, you know, some of the pitchers you look back at in the wind sets, I was like, well, shoot the whole front row there won a national, you know, at least one national main event, you know, grand national main event uh, as a pro. So a lot of talented guys and it was just a lot of fun showing up and, you know, each guy had their strength and their strong tracks. And, um, yeah, it was just great. And for me, I was fortunate because my, my dad, um, was so into it. We had bikes for every class. So. Um, it didn't matter. They had, you know, the one point they had the DTX class, which was your, you know, motocross bike lower down like the, the 450 classes now. And I ran everything from the 125 mod to the 125 schoolboy, 125 DTX, 250 mod, 250 DTX. So I was out there. I had five shots of data to, you know, get a win here and there. So it was, uh, it was, it was nice for me, but that was how I racked up a lot of, a lot of the wins was just racing every single class available. Yeah. I kind of remember that, that time a little bit, um, I just remember being at uh, like I-96 in Michigan. Um, I think it was like 94, 95. And, um, you know, you were, I think I was on an 80. Um, yeah, I think at that time you were on 250, 600 or something, you know, next couple classes up. And yeah, I remember like you and Bigelow going at it. And it was just, uh, man, that was a, that was like a stacked uh, like generation. Um, like you said, it, you know, Murphy, Russell, Hacker, Bigelow, um, you know, the Haydens obviously were in there. And, um, man, that was, like I said, that was a stacked group. And, uh, you know, me and Hacker are obviously really good friends. And it, I've always talked about it. And it, it's like, I guess I'm the I'm the old generation now. And 
like that whole generation is gone now. I mean, you know, like you, Cool Beth, uh, Russell, Murphy, like there was such a huge group there, um, you know, that, man, you know, I guess that makes me realize, I guess I'm next. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's but, You know, Kenny kind of led his way in. He was just a year ahead of, ahead of us, Kenny and, you know, Tommy Hayden, but then Tommy went um, road racing. And then, the rest of us were, you know, a year, two years behind those guys or, or three. So we're just, you know, just so when they were exiting a class, we were entering it and we'd maybe one year overlap. And then, you know, sure enough, Kenny ends up being the last one, uh, last one out as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it is scary. And you look back and we're, we're the, we're the ones done already. It feels <laughs> yeah. like we just got started. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. Let's, well, let's talk about um, like your transition going from amateur to pro. Um I remember, was it, uh, was it, it was team pal, wasn't it? Um, like, was that your rookie season or, or did you kind of do, um, do your own thing? Um, like how did that kind of all, all, all work out? Um, you know, like I said, going from amateur to your, your first couple years as a, I guess as an expert, um, you know, on a 750. Yeah, no. So my, my first uh, rookie year and my second year were with Suburban Harley and it was a a pretty, yeah, pretty smooth, nice transition for me. Um, Joe Hupt, who um, is uh, a part owner of the Suburban, uh, you know, his parents um, own and operate Suburban still now, um, built my 125 for me back in like early 1990. It was in 1990 was the the year that we built that champion frame uh, 125. So he helped, uh, you know, my dad and uncle build that bike. And then, through that, just always stayed connected with those guys. And, you know, Joe being a great guy, um, helped, helped us through some road tech stuff and, you know, just little tips and tricks here and there. And then, uh, when I turned, um, pro mid year of 90, 95, I rode his 883 at a few of the later events. Cause I turned right in, uh, in middle of the summer in July. Um, so then I, I ran Sturgis and a few of the other events on his, uh, his 883 in the Sportster class. And, you know, things went well and uh, worked out that I was able to ride his XRs um, the first first two years. And um, my rookie year was, you know, awesome. It took a little while, but Lima made my first main in June. And then from there, we had some really good results. Uh, I think I made eight miles that year, which I probably didn't ever make eight miles again because I just couldn't <laughs> seem to get the miles down. But my rookie year, I had the miles figured out, got fifth at Springfield. And then uh, had, you know, had, had a few other good races. So it was... Uh, things were looking good. And then the following year, um, it was a little more difficult. And, and, um, the, the, uh, we ran that year and then suburban decided they were going to do a full on team. Cause it was taking a lot of time away from Joe and his family and a young family at that point. And then that the year I went with uh, team Powell and I was with team Powell for, for three years then. Yeah. And then down the line, he ended up, I mean, when I was turning pro, you were, pretty much working with babe demay and that's kind of what a lot of people they associate you with as far as a tuner goes i mean jr schnabel babe demay uh any good babe demay stories i'm sure you have a handful of them um <laughs> any any stand out to you and what was it like working with somebody like babe for all those years yeah so hands down the, the best guy i worked with was babe demay i worked with a lot of great guys and, and that i had a lot of fun working with but babe was the one that i'll never forget it was he didn't, and people probably laughed that he didn't care if we wrecked five engines as long as we won a race. And I, that's what I loved. He, I knew every time I went to the, out there with his bike, it was, you know what, this thing's got what I need to win the race. 
um, and, and just a smart guy. And, you know, w- one of the things I don't know if a lot of people realize is when I was with Babe, that was right at the start of the 450 kind of push in where the Rotexes were getting phased out. And that bike I had was a whole nother level of anybody else's 450. And I, you know, the 450s, you know, now they're, they're what that bike was, but that thing was two or three, maybe four years advanced to what anybody else had. And, um, it gave me such an advantage, you know, the, the, we were revving that bike really hard, um, compared to what other guys were. And it made it really easy to ride. And, um, yeah, babe was, he was, when when he had the funding that he needed to do with things like he wanted to do, hands down the best the best guy to work with. I I loved it, you know, and um, some crazy ideas, some some crazy stuff he did, and it uh, and some of it worked out, which was you know for me it was great to be on the, the receiving end and be able to be the rider that uh, got to do some of that with him. Yeah, I remember I rode a couple of his bikes and. Anytime, like obviously you're a different build than I am. You're built like a football player. I'm built a lot smaller. <laughs> and anytime I'd get on the bike, and I, uh, Babe always set up the bike like Jr. And I'd come in like, Babe, it's really stiff, man. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't get the suspension to move. Well, Jr. Jr. loved it. I'm like, ah, oh, shit, dude, you got me there. I was like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just um, just everyone kind of associates you with Babe, and you had a lot of good results with him, and um, and things like that. What um. You know, you you rode the Yamaha Vision that they had going on for a while. You rode a bunch of different brands, you know, TL1000, XR750. What Am I missing any of the brands that you've, you've ridden? You've ridden a ton. And what was your favorite, least favorite bike to ride out of all those different brands? Uh, my, my favorite bike to ride are 03 Yamaha, um, the 450, uh, the steel frame that it just, it did everything, everything right. Um so that was my favorite bike. And just because we had, you know, we had, like I said, the, the way we were able to rev the bike, obviously with some, some ignition work and, um, the, the whole thing we were doing is we had, I would ride the bike the whole way through the corner. We were already above the torque curve. So it made the bike so easy to ride by just revving it. And then you get to the straight where you normally have to shift and the thing would pull all the way down the straightaway. And, you know, I'd, I'd ride that bike at Daytona short track, you know, and, guys halfway down the straightaway hitting the rev limiter my bike was still pulling um so there's just you know and springfield tt and short track those types of races where i'm coming out of the turn at 2000 rpm higher than everybody and my bike pulls all the way down the straight so that bike was just it was, was you know awesome to ride um by, by far my favorite and then any xr you get on is you know that was always, it was always a treat to ride but the, the bike I rode for Suburban my rookie year was a, a unique bike that had a shock underneath, kind of like the Beal style, and it was more of the pull-style shock. Um, and I always loved that bike. Um, so as far as a twin, that was my, my favorite twin to ride. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. When when you talk about that Yamaha, we were, we were talking about um, before we got you on the phone how they uh... – you know, probably a lot of a lot of fans now don't don't realize, but they called you know they called the Springfield Arena Jr's joint for quite a few years, and uh, it was all because of that 03 Yamaha that revved to about 18,000 RPMs. And uh, it's funny you say that about Babe because I'm I would imagine you guys probably blew some up just figuring out how how far you could push that thing. And uh, I just remember you know being out there and. Like, man, I, I wish I could rev my bike like that, but it just it hits the rev limiter. JR's doesn't have a rev limiter. It just 
it goes until all the parts come out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it, but, we, we did. We, we, we wrecked. I mean, I was running second behind Johnny Murphy at Castle Rock one time. And I mean, it was one of those, there's, there's certain races where you've got a smile on your face, three laps in, you're like, Oh, this is, this is in the bag. And sure enough, six laps in and I'm sitting there on the sideline watching. It's like, uh, we revved it too hard tonight. Daytona, I think it was Daytona 2006. Uh, Kevin, Kevin Barnes had a problem. And I took over the lead, and then I blew up, and Brian Smith won. But that night, it, they dug it up real deep. And I remember before going out, Dave was like, "Oh, don't worry. I took a, you know, I, I added a tooth. We're just going to rev it a little harder, get through the cushion." And it was one of those where it still never hit the rev limiter, but we ended up throwing valves out the exhaust pipe. You know, it's like, <laughs> ah. but those those races, it's like I, I never was really too mad at it. It was like, you know what, it gave me the shot to at least run up front, and gave me the shot to win. So. I always looked at it that way. Was, hey, at least I had the chance. That's one thing that's hard to find with with some tuners and mechanics. It's you know, it's you know, hey, let's put a tooth on. No, we can't rev this thing that hard. Well, I I needed to rev that hard to 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 try to win this race. You know, if it blows up, hey, well, you know, at least we tried. So, um, but yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was always cool to watch watch on that. Um, I I do have one question though that I. I don't think I ever got confirmation on. Um, obviously, me, you know, me and you were teammates in 07, 08 uh, with Suzuki. And I can't remember which year it was. I don't remember if it was 07 or 08. But in Daytona, um, obviously, the, you know, those Suzukis worked, worked great there, too. And uh, what was it? You were leading your heat race by like a mile. And uh, just just spun out, you know, laid it down all by yourself, got up, had to go back through the semi. And I think uh, I think I might end up winning that night. You came all the way through the pack and got second. And uh, I remember <laughs> and, and anybody doesn't know his wife, his wife, Kim, is the sweetest little, you know, woman that I've ever met in my life. And I remember, you know, Jr. showing up the next day and, you know, talking to Travis and, and me and, you know, all the mechanics and stuff and going, yeah, Kim was pretty mad. She made me a peanut, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that was always allowed to have, cause I was, I was punished. I was in trouble. <laughs> I, I can't do that again. So was that, was that true? Or was that, was that, uh, you know, I, I kind of believe it's true. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. Kim, Kim is the, the sweetest wife, right. And always great with the racing, but it was, and it was great for me. If you're going to do it and you're going to spend the time doing this and you're going to do it right. And so that was the whole thing. And I think that was just one of those races you're out there leading. It's a heat race. Yeah. Line choices somewhat are, you know, picking your spot on the starting line, having the fast heat race somewhat important, but it was more me just going in the corner, trying to show off sliding into the corner too low and, <laughs> you know, doing something stupid. And she knew that she was, she's been around the race enough. So yeah, it was more so most of the time it was, you do your business on the track, that's yours. But once in a while I needed a, an ass chewing and I would get it if I you know, did something <laughs> stupid. And it was just, it was one of those learning points. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I think in the back of the mind too, you know, both of us are somewhat frugal at points. Jake's probably witnessed that as well. Me and my teammate for two years. So I think there was that whole, you just left money on the table and it's one thing to leave it there because you just couldn't get it done, but you did it because you were stupid. So you just lost money basically gambling by being <laughs> stupid. So I think that was the other part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, another, another funny story. I, I hate, you know, well, you brought it up, you brought it up. So I, I, you know, I don't want to call you out in front of everybody, but 
you you may still have this car. JR had this little silver. What was it? A Honda Accord. Honda Civic, yeah. A Honda Civic. Okay. <laughs> yep, Honda Civic, and you know that's what he would drive. You know, to work every day, and you know, because I guess driving through Milwaukee was nasty potholes. You know, so he didn't want to drive anything nice. And you know, JR saying, you know, calling himself frugal. The thing got you know thirty something miles of the gallon. So he was always pretty proud of that. So um, we were at a race, just an outlaw race, I think in Missouri. And that's where the Suzuki race shop was at the time. And, uh, race was over. We were back at the shop. Everybody was kind of hanging out and having a good time. And, uh, it was Mick Kirkness and Chris Boone. And, you know, long story short, they had this Kmart helmet and, um, Mick's wearing the helmet and wants Chris Boone to break a beer bottle over his head, over the, his head with his helmet. So we're all out there. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a great idea. And right before it all happens, JR comes out of nowhere and goes, hey, whatever you guys do, just don't hit the silver Honda Civic over there. And we're like, oh, OK, yeah, it's, you know, it's about 15 yards away. Yeah, we're, no, we're good. We're not going to hit the Civic. So, you know, Boone winds up, crack, hits him over the head with the, with the beer bottle. Nothing happens. Damn it. Hits him again. Nothing happens. Hits him the third time. The bottle comes out of his hand, hits the concrete, doesn't break bounces off the concrete all the way across the parking lot and bounces off the right rear fender of JR's uh, Honda Civic and puts a dent, <laughs> puts a big old dent right in the side of the thing. And I just remember, you know, everybody was was having such a good time laughing and that that just ruined the night. JR was devastated. His his Honda Civic was dented and yeah, it just it just ruined the ruined the whole night. <laughs> yeah, and it was one of those you know you're standing there and it's like I know my car's way over there, but I've seen you guys operate before, so of course <laughs> something is going to happen to my car that I park out of the way. And yep, sure. And I was proud of that. You know that was one of the great things getting the ride with with you know whether it was Babe or with Suzuki is my leathers fit in the back of my car. I could get I was getting 40 miles to the gallon with that little Civic going to the race. It was it was awesome. <laughs> it's probably worse too because you told them i hate when i tell people something like hey you know be careful that's over there you know watch my bike and then something still happens to it it's like damn it i told y'all to be, be careful and it still happens so that, that usually that usually makes it worse but um speaking of that you know we we had jared meese on last week and we kind of asked him Who? you know if there was one rider yeah jared exactly. Meese was on. yeah exactly i never heard of her uh we had him on last week, and we asked him if there was a rider you he wouldn't want to get into a tussle with, who would it be? And he said J.R. Schnabel. So it got me thinking. You know, you're pretty, you're pretty mellow. Uh, me and Jake were talking just a little bit ago, like off the track, and you're, you know, you're pretty, pretty mellow guy. But on the track, you, you, you know, you, you ride, you know, super aggressive and not scared to put a wheel on somebody. But what's the closest closest you've come to to fighting somebody off? The, has there been any incidents where you've you had to go up to somebody and and you know put them in their place a little bit. Yeah, I don't. Uh, amateur racing, um, Brian Bigelow was like always, and, and it wasn't like it was dirty. It was just he would get the right angle on you or something. It was always like, oh damn, and, and I think because him and I would battle so much in every class, and it was you know kind of that that little that rivalry we had, and you know he was you know good competitor in the same way. He would he was he would get aggressive out there, but he would you know. It, he, it seemed like he would be the one that I would always be like, ah, get me a little. Um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't just one person. It was, you know, I think anybody that put a wheel on me, I'd put it right back on him. So I was, I was pretty equally distributing that out. 
Um, I remember one time at Daytona, I think that was maybe the hardest I, I hit somebody was uh, Joe Cop came in and, and moved me. And I, I think he actually did it twice to me. And uh, I, I came in, I slammed him so hard. And I was riding the Paul's Rotex at that time. And I, I remember coming in, the exhaust pipe was just smashed shut. I hit him so hard. Neither of us fell. Um, but I, I don't think there was ever really one rider. It was just kind of spur of the moment what happened on the track and tried to normally just leave it out there too. Yeah, I mean, we had Paul Lynch on the show. We've had Mike Hacker, and they both have said the same about uh, Brian Bigelow. So it was it was funny you you mentioned Bigelow, but yeah, me said there was a time. I what did he say, Jake? That they got they ran into each other or something, and Jared was scared coming back in the pits, and you went up to him, Jr., and just gave him a firm handshake and said, "It's cool, man. It's cool." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, and that was it with, with certain guys. I mean, I remember Jared. I, I, we did a lot of the ice racing together, and you know, you're indoor on on these little hockey rinks, and it was every other weekend. It seemed like we were taking each other out or you know having an incident, and but neither of us lost it on each other because it was like, you know what, we're out here racing, but it came to a point where we're like, hang on, we're either ending up first or last. It was, you know, like Ricky Bobby out there because we were knocking each other off so much. And it was like, okay, we're taking a lot of money out of each other's pocket. We've got to figure out like, if we're going to pass each other, let's get it, get it somewhat under control and, and clean, you know? So, but that was, you know, there were certain guys like the Henry Wiles, another one, it was, he always braced you hard, but if you ran it back in on him he never came off the track complaining to you. And, you know, I guess that's, that's how I always tried to run it is you don't want to put a guy on the ground, you know, but if you rub him a little bit, you better be ready to get, you know, rubbed back. And as long as everybody's decent with that, it, it works out. Now you got to watch it. You don't cross the line, which could be real easy to do. But, you know, I think I tried to always play it that way as well. We're going to, we're out here racing. We're, we're doing this for a reason and things happen. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, what was it? It was, I think it was Castle Rock short track one year and you were coming through the pack or something in a heat race or semi or whatever it was. And, you know, you came up through and, you know, won the heat race or what, you know, whatever it was did well. And I remember it came off the track and you were, you know, talking with Travis and kind of getting things ready for the main event. And, uh, I remember, um, you know, like neither of us knew who he was at the time. Um, but it was Kip Baker, um, Scott and Brad's Brad's dad. You know, re- um, rest in peace. He passed away a few years ago. But uh, but yeah, I remember you know sitting there talking with you, and you know we're all kind of going over things. And Kip comes into the pits, and I think kind of like taps you on the shoulder and said something to you. And you know you had no idea what happened. And you know you just kind of look over at him and didn't really know what he said or didn't know if he was joking or what. And you just kind of laughed and. You know, he was, I guess you must've got in. I don't think, I don't think Brad was, was, was expert yet. I think it was Scott Baker and you must've got into him or something must've happened at some point and Kip came over and, but he was like, yeah, he was pissed. It, it was just kind of a funny scenario. Cause he was mad. You had no idea what was going on. And it was just, you kind of like looked over at him and like, Hey man, how you doing? Hey, uh, <laughs> And you know, he, he just had fire in his eyes and I'm like, man, what? what'd you do out there? I'm like, you know, and you were like, ah, I don't know. I'm not sure what I did, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's funny. I mean, everybody has their, uh, has their run-ins and has their, uh, yeah, moments with people. But, but yeah, like you said, I mean, you were always one of those guys that, you know, you didn't come off the track and whine or complain or whatever. You're just, you know, firm handshake. I'm like, all right, we'll, 
we'll see you at the next one when you know, when i get, when i get my chance i'll i'll give it back and uh so yeah that was that was always cool i, I you know i enjoyed being teammates with you and uh you know we had some good battles and some good races and had some fun so uh, but yeah um who we got here uh oh phew. hate hate to bring this one up this is i think i've seen this happen we kind of talked about it a little bit um uh how many nationals can you remember that you were leading and broke i knew there was I know there was quite a few of them I, the one that sticks out to me is uh is greenville i, uh, I can yeah, imagine I i'm sure i'm sure there were yeah. some others but i i do remember that one but that you know hate hate to bring it up but, but. <laughs> no it's, you know but but the good thing is you could you know that it's I, I think of that too. Is there, man, there was a, there was a quite a few, you know, Daytona, the, the one we talked about, um, Castle Rock, I wasn't leading, but it was one of those, you know, and Johnny Murphy would probably argue with me cause he won it. But, uh, I was smiling pretty hard on that one. I was got off the line second on a groove track and I, that day, everything was perfect, you know, and it was like, Oh, this is, this is going to be mine. Um, one that you may or may not remember was Springfield mile 2009. And the track was super wet. Mick Kirkus oh, was going well, and then it was it was you and Jared and myself. And I ended up breaking on like lap thirteen, but it was the same situation. I've never been really able constantly up front. I mean, I think I finished fourth there one year on the Suzuki, um, which which was good. But normally on a mile, not up near the front, and it was it was us three. Um, and maybe there might have been one other guy, but he tailed off a little bit. But us three were were running up front, and then uh, I had ignition wire fall off. And that's all it was because we had a, we had the dash for cash after that, and I ended up um, winning the dash for cash. Um, but I got you know DNF the the main event, and it was that was that was a killer because you never know when, on lap twelve of a, a mile. It's but when three three guys break away, it's like well at least I had a shot at the podium. Um, so that one that one was a crusher, um, you know, of, of having something happen. So yeah, there's there's a few, and then Greenville of course was uh, one where. Um, you know, things were going well. And that was a pretty simple one. We just ended up sucking some dirt up into the carburetor and that was it. So that that one, uh, yeah, that one was heartbreaking too, because it just kind of broke away and had a pretty decent lead already and things went south. So I think the ones with the twins are a little harder because, you know, I only had one twin win. So it'd have been nice to at least get, uh, get a second one on a, on the twin cylinder. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the Greenville one, but I remember there was a race somewhere, Ah oh, man, I think it was I ninety six. I think you got second or third on the twin, and I think you got a bad start. And you were really, you know, picking the guy. Is that where was that Jr. Was that I ninety six? You got second or third yeah, and you were coming through the pack. Yep, I ninety six. Yeah, uh, cool about the one at that night. And I, I, I did. I remember on a groove track there. Um, very rarely did I ever run with Chris Carr or get close to him on a groove track and actually passed him. And I, yep. So I ended up second that night. Yeah. Behind Colbeth. Yeah. Yeah. You had a lot. Of, I mean, you're known as the singles guy, but I think it's not talked about enough how well you ran the twins, you know, you ran really well in the cushion tracks. I remember lining up, lining up with you. I think it was my rookie year, my second year at Lima and lined up next to you on the starting line. I was, it was intimidating, honestly. Like I just watched you in practice manhandle this, 320 pound xr and i'm just like this 115 pound kid lining up next to jr schnabel it was just uh for me it was really cool as a rookie to race guys like you and and uh and learn as much as i could but do you still follow any of the races right now are you still a fan uh, watch it on you know fan choice or mbc sports 
Oh, definitely. That's yeah. That's one thing hooked, you know. And, and like I said, still do a lot of riding. You know, we've got a few Wisconsin boys, uh, Morgan Mishler, Jesse, doing well. So it's great to watch watch them and you know see how they're doing. So yeah, I'm, I, I follow pretty close and you know try to keep up with it. Uh, even more than just watching on the on, on you know on TV, I'm checking the results right away after the races, or you know even while the races are going on, watching watching Fans Choice and watching it on Thursday nights when I can. So pretty uh pretty in tune with what's happening yeah what are your thoughts on last season how it kind of played out with with briar kind of dethroning jared and and uh and, and all that what what were your thoughts on that yeah i thought it was a good year um you know anybody anytime you race with jared you know as all of us have is you know the type of competitor he is so to go out there and week in and week out be able to you know beat him and, and perform like Briar, Briar did. It was, that was, that was an impressive year. And I'm looking forward to this year because I know Jared's not just going to sit by and let that happen. So that'll be interesting to see and, you know, see how some of the Yamahas uh, come back. It was, I think JD, you know, and, and Jake did awesome on those last year, you know, really seemed to have the TTs figured out. So, you know, hopefully with another year on them, uh, get a little more um, development and see if they can get them performing better on that, the half miles and miles that would be interesting to see. And, you know, I have to say my team, right? The Harley team. I'm hoping that the Harley team uh, is up in there. They, they they were last year. And I think, uh, you know, people are quick to, to dismiss that with the success of the other brand, but uh, I, I think they've, they're getting there. And, you know, obviously the two brands took different approaches um, to, to, um, you know, the new builds once the XR went, went away, but um, I'm really hopeful that the Harley team is a, has a strong year this year as well. Yeah, yeah, they've been making making progress. Um, I mean, you you know how tough it is. I mean, you've you were part of the Suzuki program, and um, you know, riding the the Yamahas with Babe, it's it's tough. Uh, you know, developing a, a newer motor, motorcycle that's racing against something that's purpose built. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're they're making making strides and and having their moments. It's you know, same as, you know, we did on the Suzuki's, it was, you know, just getting that consistency. Um, you know, the things would work really good some places and really bad at others. So just, uh, just getting that, that consistency to, to where, you know, they're a contender week in and week out. And, um, you know, I mean, there's no doubt they're going to get there at some point. So hopefully, uh, you know, but the sport needs it. So we need, uh, we need Harley to, to get back in the mix and, uh, and make, make some things happen. But, um, but speaking of Mies, um, we have kind of a, I guess it's kind of been an ongoing thing for everyone, but we, we talk about it quite a bit on the show. We had Jared on last week and, uh, we, you know, we always talk about the, the wiles versus Mies wrestling match. Um, we might have to get you in on this now. Um, I know you were, we were a pretty good wrestler, but, um, you're an expert who, who, who do you think would win in a Wiles Mies wrestling match? Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. So being a past wrestler, right? So and taking my own experience of being broken up, I've got to think who's been broken up the worst because right now I'm not flexible enough. As soon as I got down on the mat, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> so <laughs> got to take in. Let's see. Both of them have had knee surgery. They both. Yeah, I think it looked like a grandpa match out there pretty much as it looks like now. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure who would who would win that. You know, 
I'll give this to Henry since Jared, Jared keeps winning all the champion. Jared's won more championships. <laughs> I'm going to give it this one to Henry. Well, we'll have to, uh, that's, uh, that's a good idea. We'll have to have you, if it ever happens, we'll have to have you as guest, um, referee. You can, you can score it. Um, yep. so you could take, you could take some bribes from Henry or Jared, you know, you could kind of work it, work it up front. So you, uh, see who pays you off to get, to get, score some points. But, uh, but no, yeah, well, it's something we always joke about and laugh about. But uh, I don't know. I, Wiles wants it to happen really bad. Jared. Oh, he must be feeling good. Yeah, see, I picked the right guy. See, Jared and I, we, yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was Sean Russell's house. We had a little match, but you know, it's a little tough because there's not a mat. We just kind of moved some furniture around. And but it was, it was, it was pretty even. You know, nobody, uh, nobody got hurt, but nobody really <laughs> lost. Nobody got pinned or anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. I have a little weight on Jared, so I probably should have been able to uh, do a little better. So yeah, he, he was he was pretty tough. I'll give him that. Yeah, we we joke around a lot a lot about it. We're trying to set something up for charity. <laughs> um, a couple of questions here. We'll we'll let you get going. Um, any young riders today out there that remind you of yourself at all? Uh, Follow up question: Does anybody impress you that's coming through the ranks right now? Well, I have to say Morgan Meshler because, well, one, he's local, right? But I don't know if you guys noticed, he rides like 10 feet higher than everybody, and I like that. You know, and not that I always pass around the outside, but I normally tried to find a cushion, even if there wasn't any. So um, I I do like that. Um, He seems to be able to do it on the groove tracks, um, whether it's the local races here I watch him. I watched him, you know, watch him on Fans Choice and that. And so I I like that, and I like that momentum and and what he carries there. so I think that's good. Um, Dallas Daniels, I think, uh, you know, just I've, I've seen him race a few times. He was here at the Mama Tried in the indoor. Um, I, I would say he looks like definitely one of the up-and-comers to, to definitely watch. I know, Jake, you were teammates with him, so you probably have a little more insight uh, to, to how he goes about his day. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of talent out there. That's the thing with how they've – structured the the series with the 450 feeder class and then you know the the basic uh twins class and then you know it 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 helps get guys the confidence and get them on the tracks and i remember just as you were saying core i remember 16 years old lining up you know against scott parker the front rows scott parker chris carr ricky graham will davis it's like really 16 this is this is what i got to deal with so I, you know it's nice to have that stepping stone these guys build their confidence and learn the track versus just going out there and getting crushed week in and week out um so i think uh i think that's that's good to see that's it's a little tough though to see who the next big stars are going to be because things change once you get on the big bikes and you know you have to you know you go out there and you have to get beat a few times versus being the guy out there, you know, dominating all the time. So it'll be interesting to, you know, see how some of these guys do that moved up this year and, um, you know, how they run. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the future. Like you said, um, you know, Dallas obviously shows, shows some promise and we got some fast amateur kids coming up that are probably going to be pro by the time we start racing again. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I guess kind of, Kind of, you know, last question, just kind of wrap it up. I think I kind of, kind of know the answer, but, um, you know, what, uh, you know, what was like the deciding factor for you to, you know, when you retired, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, probably injuries and, and things like that probably played a factor, but, um, you know, what, what, what went into that decision and, um, 
you know, obviously, you know, what was that like? Um, I mean, obviously you kind of had your, your future already set. You, you had been working for Harley Davidson, but, um, was that a hard thing to adjust to? And, you know, what, um, you know, what kind of advice would you give someone, you know, that's, that's retiring from racing and, and, you know, getting ready to, to head off into the real world. Yeah, it, it was, for me, it was, it was multiple things merging together. It was talent was diminishing, a little, diminishing a little. And I mean that by, you know, reaction time, all of that, it was 35. So things were starting to, you know, to go, it's not, you're not done dirt tracking, but you could, you know, there's the tracks I was did well at required more of that aggressive style. It wasn't the be smooth and carry momentum. I was kind of the point and shoot riding well on the rough tracks. Um, so I think at 35, that skill set was diminishing a little. I was maybe getting a little better on the slick stuff, but it was just tough. Um, it was the economy. The you know it was right around 2012 when I got hurt. It was tough to put sponsorship, uh, you know, a, a good ride together. Um, so that factored into it. And then yeah, you know, um, getting hurt uh, with my neck uh, injury and that. Um, breaking two vertebrae and, and having to have the surgery that to, was was a little part of it. Um, starting a family. Um, so at, at the point we had uh, our first little girl at that point, and then things were going really well at work too. So it's kind of, you weigh everything out and it's like, well, what's the right decision to make? And, you know, it was, it was, it was my time. And for me, I think the other part that made it easier is looking back. It's like, man, what a, what a great run. You know, it got to from the age of four, all the way to 35 got to just, you know, do this sport that I love. And I'm still going to, you know, I, at that point I knew I was still going to be involved, you know, riding and trying to help some kids around here with, with the track and whatever I could, and, you know, peeking in and out of races here and there. So um, I think that was, for me, that was the, the part that I, in my mind was, okay, this is how I'm going to exit out of the racing and take the next step. And the other part for me is I'm still involved in the industry um, with getting to work at Harley. Um, going to be this is my 18th year there and uh so that's awesome for me is you know what while i'm not racing i'm still involved in the motorcycle industry and kind of doing something i love and you know get to get to be involved with the sports though yeah it's a great answer i mean a lot of people can can kind of look to you man i mean um after racing it's tough for some of these guys to move on in the real world and uh you've done a really good job at it just good job, great family, and you still get the ride. And it sounds like you're doing well. I haven't heard from you in a while. I think the last I saw you was a couple years ago in Daytona. So it's it's been good catching up with you. We have one more quick segment here we do every episode. It's We call it the Higher Low Line. The Higher Low Line tonight is sponsored by Unsettled Racing. Unsettled Racing is composed of two brothers, Jax and Wes Settle. They race in District 17 as well as surrounding states, near the Illinois area. It's a family affair with Papa, Mimi, and Mom running the team while Dad is serving in the military. It's really cool stuff. Look up those riders at a race near you. We're going to give you two um, a question with two answers and pick one or the other with like a brief explanation. Um, first one, what would you rather do, a three-hour endurance ice race or 25 laps on a cushion half mile? Uh, three-hour endurance race okay yeah i just love the you get you got the time you let the race come to you um 25 laps on a cushion is awesome but it's still that's full out craziness um three hours is like i say let the especially now that's and that's why i still do the three hour because everybody can go out there and be crazy for 30 minutes and then things kind of settle in and then you just pick them off so i don't have to 
you know, don't have to be pulse pounding right away. If all, you know, <laughs> all crazy 25 laps, I can let the race come to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted one of these days, I'm going to make it up there to do that, do that ice race. It's kind of one of those deals on my bucket list and wanted to always wanted to try it yeah, out. But I think you, Jared, a few of the guys, Henry, nobody comes over because now, now that I'm over 40, now you'll all come. That that'll be it. I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> these guys aren't well, that, these guys aren't that fast. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably going to be when I'm retired, and you know, I just want to go pop wheelies on the ice for a little bit. You know, I mean, it's three hours. I'll, you know, I'll find a couple young teammates and ride for probably the first fifteen minutes while the ice is still good, and you know, let let the kids tear it up when it gets nasty. But, um, but you, I mean, you still ride that thing. You're pretty much solo don't you like you're you're i've always heard the story like you're required to have a teammate and you always have your dad sign up or your dad or your uncle sign up but you end up riding the whole race anyway the whole thing yeah now they changed it they changed the rule you can ride it by yourself so they have actually have okay. a class iron, iron man solo yeah so um yeah. the last three years now i've won the iron man solo class this year, though, I have to be honest. I won the Ironman solo, but there was a team that that ended up beating me, so I got second overall in the in the main race. Um, and there was two guys faster, Jesse Janish um, and then Lance Wollen. Uh, both those guys were going better than me this year. I was struggling a little bit. The previous two years, they wrote, they both rode Ironman solo, and I had them. But this year, they they had me. So I got some work to do next year. We <laughs> back there in better shape, ready to go. Yeah. But it, and it does it, it, three hours, and you would not believe how rough that ice gets. It is. This year, by the end of it, it was one of those. Every time I hit the bumps, it was you're just my body was just grunting and whining. So yeah. I gotta strengthen up a little bit more for next year. Man, you are getting old. That's what that's what Jr. lived for ten years ago, right? <laughs> I know I'd have been hitting them. I would have been hitting those bumps just to bounce off of them. Extra yeah. traction. There's traction in the holes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, next question is. Uh, JR is kicking back, relaxed, and are you more of a beer guy or a or a Crown and Diet Coke? Crown and Diet Coke. I I yeah, still I have not that. acquired a taste of beer. <laughs> I have probably in my whole life, if I've had five beers, that's it. But wow. I think there may have been a night or two where I've had five Crown and Cokes. So yeah, I think yeah. I was there for one of them, the, the Ale House yeah. or something after Daytona. <laughs> second from the second from the third row fourth row i think i fell fourth row third row <laughs> yeah i think you might have heard that a few times that night yeah oh yeah oh yeah i remember <laughs> would you rather be teammates with joe cop or jake johnson you know i was wondering if that question would come up or something about being jake's teammate and here's the thing when you look at look at rivalries and, and people that i hated getting beat by it was Henry Wiles and Jared Meese, because they both did well on the tracks that did well. And, and just, they were great riders and they seemed to always get the upper hand on me. And Jared raced a lot of the fair races, right? So it was like him and I were racing way outside of the, the national series just. Um, and then Henry is just because the tracks I did well at, he did well at, I mean, it was the same, you know, his style's the same, but then Jake, I have to throw you in there because you were my teammate and really I didn't have a teammate all my years until I got onto the Suzuki team. And anytime you're a teammate, right? We worked well together, had a good time, but it's like, you always want to beat your teammate. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't really have a scorecard, but I'm pretty sure you were ahead on the scorecard. So, <laughs> so it's like, so those three right there, just because it's like Henry, the same tracks, 
Jared, we just raced everywhere together. You know, if we were racing for 200 bucks at a fair race, it's like Jared show up, you know, so I'm racing him. And then Jake, cause he was my teammate. Um, so, and, and if Joe cop would have been on my team, it'd have been the same thing. I'd have been, you know, I think he's definitely got me one up for beating me. So yeah, I need to find a teammate that I can at least compete with. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was fun. I mean, yeah, like you said, obviously, you know, when you have a teammate, the first person you want to beat is your teammate, you know, and then, then, you know, the second goal is to beat everybody else. Um, but no, it, it was fun. I mean, obviously, like you said, we, we worked really good together and we knew we wanted to beat each other, but, um, yeah, like I said, I, I think we always got along well. And I think it was kind of funny. I think our mechanics, uh, at the time kind of took care of all the animosity and all the <laughs> all the rivalry and you know we just showed up and did our thing and you know if, if you beat me we would you know would be pissed about it but i'd high five you and you know vice versa but um uh here's a uh, next question uh who do you think uh meiser bauman 2020 champ uh i'm thinking me so i just i can't uh he losing doesn't sit well with him him or Tober, you know, and that's, that's the thing. Both of those guys just mm, too much drive there. I, I say it, I say it to them. Yeah. Who hits the jump at Peoria farther, you or Jake Johnson? You know, people say Jake jumps that far, but I think he's got another 10, 15 feet to go. I, I can tell you this. I've, I've hit Peoria TT fourth gear and never lifted. So uh, unless he's shifting to fifth and that was fourth gear on a Yamaha that didn't have a rev limiter. So yeah. Turning um, <laughs> thousand RPMs. <laughs> that's right. No, no, I think uh, yeah, that was, we probably, we would have probably hurt each other if they had started measuring that out for real to see who would have jumped further. I, yeah. What I if think there we was were, like a we were, $500 bonus for who jumped the farthest that day and you guys are just, we would, both, we would both be in the Creek for sure. <laughs> we'd both, yeah, we'd both be in the Creek. And and here's the thing. We'd have both done that. And Henry Wiles would have still won. So I gotta say though, I gotta say, I mean, who, who jumped it further? I don't know. I mean, there's a couple times where I, I feel like I had it, but consistently, like I would always do it in practice. Like in practice, I would just go out and hit that thing as hard as I possibly could because I knew it was going to be easy the rest of the day. Like once race time came around, I kind of backed it down and, you know, kind of did my thing. But JR, <laughs> he would jump at fourth gear pinned every single lap. Um, so the, the furthest, I don't know, consistently the furthest. I mean, I'd, I'd have to give it to, to give it to JR. Um, I mean, I watched him jump over top of Joe Cop at Springfield TT on the last lap for the win, like literally jumped over the top of him. And, uh, what was it? A few years later, I think me and Joe were battling for second and third. And I'm, and I'm picturing this in my head coming up to the, the end of the race. Like we were both about the same speed. It was hard to pass. And I'm like, I'm going to schnobble this thing. I'm, I'm going to jump over Joe and pass him going to the right hander. And, Either Joe knew it was coming because Jr. did it to him, or I just didn't jump it hard enough and I, you know, didn't get there. But, um, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll bow down and give the nod to Jr. He was, he was, 
<laughs> it was pretty gnarly <laughs> jumping anything. So um, the, the best part about that night, and Steve Beatty can Steve Beatty can vouch for this. We were walking the track um, that morning, and he's like, "Oh, everybody's going to be having to like scrub or you know back back off off the jump. You're going to over jump it." And I'm like. Yeah, unless it comes down to a last lap pass, you just bonsai this thing. You're going to jump right by the guy. And sure as shit, I'd end up jumping over the top of, <laughs> of Joe Cop that night and, uh, and and winning it, you know. So, But there was another one at Peoria, and it was another, of course, Joe Cop, Gracie Tier. It was, I want to say it was 2002, Jake. That was the year, like, four of us kind of broke away. Um, you yeah, I've met it. Myself I, let and it car. 20, I let it for 20 laps and then fell down. <laughs> and then <laughs> and fell down, forward. yep. But that day, um, I don't. It might have been our heat race. Maybe it was the main. I can't remember what race it was. But the jump, it was cut in a little bit into the hill, and on the on the left. Right now, I think they've got it pretty flat across. Or later years, it was flat across. But the grass was up on the left actually as well, just like it is on the right. And I cut from from um, right to left way too fast, and I flung off the side of it, and I hit that grass, and I skied. I thought I was done. I mean, I've been crashed off pure TG jump ever. I was so high in the air. I was, I was, I thought I was gone because um, I hit it off that left side. And I, again, I didn't, I didn't lift or anything. And Joe Cop was behind me and uh, we got done. And I think it was the heat race. And he said, Oh shit, I thought you were gonna hit that thing like that every lap. He's like, I was going to let you go. And I'm like, Oh no, that was not, that was not planned. But yeah, that, at that point I thought I uh, ended myself with the, with the Fury PG jump. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. One of the best, best things to watch ever was when JR would get a whole shot at Peoria heat race practice, whatever. Like you would just set the tone straight off the bat. Like I remember, you know, watching video or, or, you know, maybe it was early in my career. I think my rookie year, I, I didn't make the main and, and, uh, or yeah. Oh, two. Yeah. So I, I, Oh, three is I think when I let it and fell down, whatever it was, but I remember a couple of times that they're seeing you get a whole shot and just, you know, when you're behind somebody, you kind of have to check up. It's kind of single file, but man, when JR had that thing to himself, it was just, whoa, just <laughs> sit back and watch. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to get off topic again here. Just another cool, funny JR story. Um, I think it was Monticello, New York, a uh, cushion half mile, which ended up turning into a little single file groove. And, uh, we were both on Suzuki's and I remember, you know, we were battling for whatever fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, wherever, wherever it was. And JR was in front of me and he gets a flat tire. So I see his tire go flat and I'm like, Oh, all right. You know, I'm going to get by him. Well, he just kept, he just kept riding that thing. Like it took me like two laps to get around him with a flat tire. And so finally I get by him and I'm like, all right, you know, kind of get by him, kind of plan my attack on who's who's left in front of me and all of a sudden jr comes back by me with, with still with a flat tire and uh i think led me for another lap until the tire completely came off the rim i don't know if it came completely off or at least halfway off and i think it finally like started to lock the wheel up which which made him stop you know but um but yeah it was just just one of them things it's kind of like the jump thing it was just you know just you know revving the you know revving the bike jumping just you know jr would hold that thing wide open until something came to a screeching halt and uh you know that's that's something to be said it's just uh you know like i said i think a a lot of the new fans i you know don't uh, don't know much about jr but man that guy was uh you know you were like i said you would 
hold that thing wide open till either the checkered flag came out or that thing just came to a screeching halt, um, which was, which was pretty cool. Um, but, uh, uh, you probably remember that a little bit, don't you? The, the tire coming off oh, the rim. I do. And it was one of those where <laughs> I don't even, I, I remember even Travis saying, did you know you had a flat? And I didn't, and that was part of my problem. I, I remember Chris Carl always saying, you know, cause I, I was terrible at the slick track. He's like, you gotta feel it in your ass. You know, you'll feel it hooking up and, Shit, I couldn't even tell when I had a flat tire. You know, it, that was <laughs> and Johnny Murphy. Johnny Murphy, I used to always joke. He's like, you know, your style. He's like, oh, it it it's, it works so good. I'm like, yeah, three times a year. Unfortunately, we only have three tracks where it works. You know, but uh, if we had a bunch of deep sand cushion tracks, I could have battled for a championship. Unfortunately, yeah. I needed well, to learn how to. I needed to learn how to ride slippery grooves. Yeah, you're in the <laughs> wrong could. time. We got we got plenty of deep sand rough cushion tracks now so you you're oh, just you're uh, drag me back out there yeah you're just a few years <laughs> <late>. <laughs> um, nice. last one here and we're it's not really a this or that but uh greatest greatest flat tracker to ever do it uh scott parker just all around balls out got it done uh yeah yeah it's gotta be scott parker yeah it's hard to argue against parker um yeah, boy, appreciate you coming on, Jr. It's been a while, man. Uh, hopefully, we get back to racing here soon, and we see it. Were you planning on coming to any races this year? I know you work a lot and got a family, but were, any plans to make it to a race in the future? Yeah, definitely. I I, I want to make at least Peoria come down. Um, I'd, I'd like to go to one of the Springfields and watch. Last year, I was planning on doing Springfield uh, short track. I was even gonna gonna race uh, one of the amateur classes, but uh, things kind of fell through, and I ended up racing a a local race here instead, but, uh, I definitely want to want to make sure I get to one or two of them this year to say hi to everybody and just, you know, watch the new crop of riders that are coming up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'd like, love to see you out there and, uh, yeah, get to catch up and, uh, you know, talk some, talk some old times again. And, uh, but yeah, we're like, again, like Corey said, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time coming on and, uh, it's good talking to you again. And, um, Tell the wife Kim and, and the kids we said hi and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you soon. Sounds good, guys. I really appreciate it and thanks for uh, what you guys are doing here with the the webcast. It's pretty cool to listen to a few of them and uh, love it. Thanks, Jr. We'll see you soon, buddy. All right, bye, guys. See ya, Jr. Schnabel. Yeah, that guy is he's something, man. He's he's something to watch on the on a motorcycle. I, I miss I miss racing with him just because I miss watching him ride. I mean, I didn't like to race against him because he was such such aggressive, talented rider. He most of the time beat me, but just fun to watch at the track, man. He's just nobody like him. Just elbow down, head tilted, all goofy, and just just the whole time so it was cool to cool to catch up with him yeah yeah for sure yeah like i said i mean i got to got to spend a couple years as a teammate with him obviously and uh got to know him a little better and it was it was funny like before the before we were teammates i mean you know we knew jr was a, a tough competitor but he was like he's like the most polite you know well-spoken just you know we always joked he was like the only flat track guy with a college education at the time and, uh, you know, what are you doing hanging out with us? Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, just always super quiet. Um, you know, but on the racetrack, I mean, man, the guy would fight you to the death and, 
you know, and then like getting to know him and, and hanging out and being teammates with him, you know, he'd, he was, he was fun to be around, you know, good sense of humor. And, and we had a lot of fun together. So I was, yeah, it was good to catch up with him and kind of got me fired up. I, you know, I, it, I guess in, uh, in racing, you know, you kind of forget and, uh, you know, just, just talking with him and, and reliving some of the old stories that kind of fires me up and, uh, yeah, I was I was a J.R. Schnabel fan. I'm still a fan. I mean, the guy is, yeah. I mean, it's hard to explain. The guy is, he's just. Uh, well, yeah. it's just crazy that these guys retire that were such well-known racers. I mean, Johnny Murphy, J.R. Schnabel, Hacker, Paul Lynch, guys that we've had on the show, and guys forget about them too quick. I mean, it's you know a lot of these younger kids they don't even know who Johnny Murphy or J.R. Schnabel are, and. It's only been six, you know, six, seven years since they retired. So it's good for us to talk about them. Hopefully these kids get on Google or YouTube and watch some videos. I, I know that footage of JR jumping over cop is somewhere. I forget where I've seen it, but the angle is literally it's a direct angle of them coming over the jump and he sends it just completely over Joe Cop and flatlands it just lands halfway down the straightaway and still makes the right hander and wins the race. It's pretty awesome. And they don't make them, you know, we talk about, you know, the nineties, like Parker Carr and Graham, you know, they don't make them like those guys. Hell, they don't make them like Jr. and Murph and they don't make them like those guys anymore either. It's just miss, you know, when I turned rookie, half the guys that were, I was racing with probably 80% of them are all retired. So it's just crazy to me. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's, it's, I'm getting old too. So, um, yeah. So I don't know, Jake, it was, it was good. It was good to, to have them on. We'll have to get some more of those guys that error, um, on the show. Yeah. And like I, like I said earlier, there's like that whole generation, Schnabel, Hacker, uh, Murphy, Russell, Bigelow, you know, Coolbeth. I mean, Coolbeth, you know, obviously only retired, you know, what year or two ago, but man, that, that was such a stacked, like a stack group of guys that I feel like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just getting old or whatever, but it feels like, you know, those guys kind of got cut short in a way. I don't know, you know, like JR said, I mean, you know, maybe it was just, uh, you know, injuries and economy and rides and things like that. But I feel like there was just so much talent in that little group. And it, you know, for some reason it, it, it got cut short, I think, but um, it's hard, man. I mean, everyone peaks at a different age. I mean, you talk about Joe Cop. That guy got better and better and better the older he got. I feel like. I mean, sure, he won a championship in 2000, but uh, I'm pretty sure that whole most of that season or a lot of the races, Chris Carr was running a different series or whatever. So there's kind of like some debate on on that championship, but there is no debate. You know, Joe was a championship contender up into his 40s. I mean, he was. So, you know, and it's crazy. And some guys peak when they're late 20s, early 30s. So only you know when it's the right time. And if you go out there and you still feel you're competitive. For me, it was crazy. He said his his reflexes were kind of going away a bit. And when he was 35, I'm thinking, I'm 32. I'm, like, I'm thinking, hey, I'm 35. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I'm hey, like, watch your I, mouth, JR. Watch your mouth. Yeah, I think my <laughs> reflexes are good. I mean, I don't know. I, I can't catch a like a fly with my hand or anything but i can ride a motorcycle so um yeah it's, it's just crazy you know uh i watch like nba games and they talk about i think i've mentioned this before but they talk about oh that player he's getting old he's 33 you know he's he's gonna retire soon i'm like shit that's crazy to me like 
33 is old like ah it is what it is but yeah so um yeah good guest work on getting some more so the guest questions tonight are sponsored by crusaders motorcycle club they host the famous medina tt make sure you check out their schedule and find one of their races to attend and support later this season as a fan or a rider so many people have ridden medina tt it's one of the coolest track layouts i've ever seen i need to get up there and race someday and uh yeah big thanks to crusaders Rhonda, dave waters for uh supporting this podcast we appreciate it so we had a couple fan questions this this week jake i wanted to talk about one of them was from bert sumner and he asked the question why don't guys run framers more at non-nationals these days the option is there but it seems some guys would rather ride a dtx 450 over a nice framer 450 or a rotex jake what it, what do you think i mean why why are guys kind of picking dtx bikes now man i don't know i've had this conversation with somebody recently and i don't know i, I think the you know the rotexes and the framers there's places where i think they're far better um but i think we've been you know, we've had to ride DTX bikes for so long. I think we've just become more comfortable, you know, because even even myself, I get back on a Framer 450 and it's like, whoa, this thing, you know, it, it kind of takes a minute to, to to remember how to ride it. It definitely takes a different different style, different technique. And and I like I said, I think it's just we've we've had to ride um, DTX bikes for so long at the Nationals that it's just, you know, I think those things have come a long way. Um, but I think it's more of a comfort thing. I think, you know, if, if you ride a Rotex or your, your 450 framer all the time and you're used to it, uh, I think there's, there's a time and a place where it's, you know, far superior, but, you know, I don't think anybody really gets that opportunity. So it's just kind of going, you know, I I don't know, you'd, you'd want to call the the framers old faithful, but now the DTX bikes have become old faithful. you know, I think there's places where they don't work as well, but they're they're a lot easier to ride. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think they're they're a little more. Uh, just yeah, we just become more comfortable riding them, and and yeah, uh, just I mean just a lot of guys time on the framers. A lot of guys are use use the non-national races to test for for the nationals. So we can't ride framers. Why why pull a framer out and and ride it i mean yeah i guess the easy answer is to make money but i have a framer and i have a dtx bike and really the only place i've i've felt like you know a framer works better and i grew up riding framers is um is like a really dry slick smooth like clay or dirt track you know anywhere where there's a little bit of grip or there's any kind of bumps or like a wet tacky type of dirt the framers suck i mean they're they're chattery and a handful and I run, I run them on some tracks now, and I'm like, man, I can't believe guys always rode framers. Like, you look at tracks when we were allowed to ride framers, everybody just rode framers because we thought they were better, but um, I don't know. Were they? It's, it's just crazy. Well, the technology, too, with DTX bikes, like Schnabel talking about his DTX bike, Steel Frame, 2003, Yamaha, um, you know, technology in these DTX bikes, they're incredible, and they're not made to turn left, but we've been able to develop so many good parts and suspension and engine combinations that make them work really well, you know, on flat track events. So, yeah, it's that's kind of a tough question, but it's, um, yeah, you do see it a lot. I mean, everyone's riding deep. 
TX bikes now. Um, and the other other questions, a follow up from Bert. He said, "What non nationals for pros do they look forward to attending these days? Are there any favorite non national events where a lot of pro guys show up to or want to race?" Um, Jake doesn't really race a ton of non nationals anymore, but if there was one that you kind of would go to or a couple of them, what would what what would your choice be? And um, I want to. Sway your decision, but winter with winter throwdown probably right. <laughs> yeah, well, that when I first saw this question, that was kind of my um, my thought. Like the non nationals nowadays, there's there used to be a lot. Um, you know, you, there used to be the hot shoe series, and there used to be a lot of um, you know decent paying you know races out in the Midwest, um, non national stuff. You know, either during the week or on off weekends, and. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's getting kind of it's getting kind of slim. Like um, as far as you know, top caliper guys like Mies doesn't run the 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 outlaw races like he used to. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I would have to say, you know, the biggest ones now are, are Burt's race, the the Dairyland Classic. I mean, that thing's been going on for for a long time. Um, he always has it uh, the weekend. Uh, you know, Road America, Moto America weekend. So, um, you know, obviously the winter throwdown has become a, a, a big thing, um, you know, the last couple of years. Uh, you know, it's it's in a good location, Florida, middle of January. Um, you know, a lot of guys, top guys now, I mean, Mies lives in Florida, so he shows up. Robinson's down there. A lot of guys go down there and train. So, um, I mean, I, I hate to pump you up, Corey, but I would – I would think that the winter throwdown probably has the the best talent as far as as top level riders. Um, not taking anything away from anything else. Like I said, the the Dairyland's a, a cool race. I, I did it a couple times. They have a cool dash for cash. Um, you know, I don't know if he still does that, but they they kind of go off by the time qualifying and they take the fastest guy from each each brand and. Now they mix twins in with singles, so that's kind of you know kind of an interesting deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of non-nationals. I mean, I don't know. It's they don't do Willow Springs anymore, huh? That was a yeah. huge yeah, Willow non-national. I know that I'm pretty sure they don't do Willow. Yeah, a lot of the good ones or the well-known ones are just not as popular anymore. Either that, or guys are getting we're getting kind of picky with what we want or need to show up. Um, you know, back when I turned pro, I, I, I remember the number being $500 to win would kind of draw in some some riders. You know, $500 to win, let's show up and do it. Now it's like you hear a lot of guys won, you know, 1000 2000 to win to, to get them off the couch to come. So, yeah, it just, it just depends. For me, you know, I, I, I got to like the racetrack. It's got to make sense with my travel schedule. Like if I've just traveled to California for two weeks, I don't want to travel back home, you know, back out to Illinois the following weekend when I could spend a weekend off kind of, um, you know, recuperating and being at home for a little bit. So it just depends what the payout is and the competition and and liking the racetrack. But, um, yeah, the Steve Nay series, they, they pay good money if you win on the twin and the single. And so I try and do uh, some of those when I can. And, um I obviously love indoor races, so any concrete indoors that is worth my time, I try and try and do those. The Flat Out Friday one, man, I, I've gone to it. I think three years now. I've I've gotten second all three years, and it's a it's it's cool because it pays good money, but it's such a shit show. I like 
I just can't like, that's another thing too. Like feeling appreciated. Like when you come to these races, like I've gone to some races where everyone's just grumpy and they, they act like they're doing you a favor by running this race. And, um, you want to have fun when you take the weekend off to go race a non-national and some of these events like flat out Friday, for instance, man, it's just, it's a good event. It's packed. The fans are awesome. I see a lot of my friends there that race, but just like, I just don't enjoy the atmosphere of it. It's just such a shit show. Um, he does a good job with it. You know, he brings in a ton of hooligans and ton of bikes, but it's just a cluster, man. It's just, so that's, that's another thing. An organized event is, uh, is another big one. And yeah, the ones Jake mentioned, they're, they're really organized and, and that's, that's why racers keep coming back year after year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, as far as a fan's point of view, if there's a non-national in your area, go check it out. I mean, you know, it helps, it helps everybody, you know, support, support the sport, support the young kids. And, and, you know, there, you know, Jared Mees might not be there. Briar Bauman might not be there. Corey Texter might not be there, but man, sometimes some of the best racing isn't a class you wouldn't expect, you know, the 250 amateur class or the 30 plus class or something. I mean, you know, they might not be going, they might not be out there setting lap records, but you know, you go to a local race. I mean, it's, it's fun, you know, family atmosphere and and there's, there's some good racing. Um, from when I was 17 years old, I would do anything to win a district six hundred (laughs) dollar expert main event. I would T-bone people cut the, you know, jump over the inside of the track. Just, I remember when Jake and Varnes and Ron Wood and really like established pro riders would come back and do a district six race. I was going for blood to try and beat these guys just because of their pedigree at the pro level. And ah, they're just there riding around. But I mean, you, these young kids, man, they, they're, they're nationals are these local races. So you have those, those guys that just, they just go for it. Um, and it, it's, it's really fun to watch. Yeah. Well, so we have, um, I'm making it up right now. We have a new segment on the show. It's called, uh, we have guest questions. We have fan questions. This is a host question sponsored by me. <laughs> I'll pay, uh, Shoot I'll, it. You take PayPal, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the money. So I, I haven't, you know, you talking about uh, concrete indoors. I got a question for, for Corey, my, my uh, fellow uh, co-host here. Who is the best flat track rider ever on concrete? The best ever on concrete. Man, that's tough. The best ever. I don't know. It's it's different different styles, I feel like. Like I would not want to race somebody like Georgie Price if he had some speed under him because he was such they called him the Buick for a reason. He would just plow people <laughs> over. So you have guys and Don Don Mullen, like guys like that are really good indoor riders because they're super aggressive and they just knock people over. And then you have guys like like I would say you a little bit to an extent and me, like we're littler, like, like our plan, my plan is to qualify good, get a good start and just go run scared kind of. So I hate to give the guy credit, but Jared Meese is good everywhere he goes. And the best guy I've ever raced on concrete, uh, you know, I didn't ever got to race a prime Georgie price. I've never got to race a prime, um, uh, even you, when you were running a lot of concrete indoors, I didn't get the race of prime Jake Johnson when he was running a lot of indoors and the best guy I've raced is Jared Meese. Um, you know, we have our local guys around here. Mike Poe goes well and Bronson he's won mama tried a couple times, just beat me, 
um, both times by like half half a bike length. And yeah, I would say Jared Jared Meese is probably the toughest guy I've raced. But uh, like I said, I wouldn't want to race Georgie Price in his prime. That guy, (laughs) he was a beast. He knocked people over. Why? Who's the best one you've ever raced with? Man, ah, well, I mean, same guy as you raced. I I got to race Georgie a bit, like kind of towards the end of his, you know, his reign. Um, I remember I was, I think I was 16. I had just turned pro, pro am or pro sport or whatever they called it at the time. And, uh, got the ride, the 250 pro class at Timonium. And that's when we were on two stroke framers. And, uh, I remember I was going pretty fast that night. I mean, and Georgie was, he was still fast. He was still the guy. And I forget what happened. I, I, I remember, I don't know if I was. I think I might've had pole or something, but he kind of beat me off the line and I just went to the first corner and just, just didn't shut off until I was into the side of him. And, uh, he still didn't move, but it was, you know, luckily I hit him hard. So it was enough that, you know, it kind of stood him up a little bit. And then, you know, I went on and, and won the race. And that was like, at the time, that was like the biggest win of my career. You know, I beat, <laughs> I beat Georgie Price at Timonium, you know, indoors. And, uh, yeah, it was funny. Uh, you know, Georgie was like, he was a big help to me when I was, when I was growing up and, uh, you know, especially through like my later amateur career. So it was, uh, I, I it was kind of bittersweet for him. I think he was happy for me, but he was kind of, he kind of came over to me after the race. Cause I knew I got into him pretty hard in the first corner and I didn't know if he was going to hug me or strangle me or what he was kind of i think he was kind of caught in between you know he was he was happy for me but he was kind of pissed at the same time but um, well that's the thing the indoors i mean there's really no rules so me and jared meese were actually texting back and forth about this earlier in the week and um just it's hard to compare the different bikes too like price and those guys raced two two stroke framers so um I've never even rode a two-stroke framer. I barely have ridden a two-stroke uh, on flat track. So, and then we race 450. So it's so hard to compare. Like, I, I'd love to see some old footage of like how they actually rode the indoor. Because the way we we ride it now, like, I drift up really far off the corner, like to the wall. And I actually took Georgie Price to, with me to Milwaukee to Mama Tried the first year I went. Georgie went and kind of helped me out, was coaching me a bit, and he was telling me like the lines they did on the framers was so different from what I was doing on a DTX bike. And he's like, honestly, dude, you're the only guy here that kind of like you drift out and then you like, you like roll it into the corner. Like you do it so different than anybody else. And I'm like, is that a good thing? And he's like, Oh, it's just different. So yeah, I'd love to see some old footage from back in the day because I don't know. I just love watching old indoor footage of guys just throwing it in on each other. And, um, I just remember, Maybe it's a bad memory, but I remember being little, uh, you know, younger and going and watching the pros and just remember I was always a big Kevin Barnes fan and I didn't know the difference. Like if guys like good outdoor guys were good indoor guys. So I was always a big Kevin Barnes fan. I'd go up to Timonium hoping for a Kevin Barnes indoor win. (laughs) And he, uh, it turns out he was never a good indoor rider. He'd always like crash, not make the final get last. So, um, yeah, those were some good memories for sure. I, uh, I miss the smells of, uh, indoor races from my childhood, just the sights, the sounds, the compression releases. That's uh, a memory that I miss probably more, almost more than anything as my, uh, when I was younger, that was good, that good stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not a good time to talk about it. We would always talk about after Timonium Indoors, you know, we'll put that on the list for non-nationals to go check out Timonium Indoors, usually in December. It's, it's pretty entertaining, but, uh, man, the, the, the old days with the two strokes and the, and the blends all and all the, you know, two stroke smoke, you would always end up sick. The, you know, the few days afterwards, we'd always, we call it the Timonium flu. You know, and I'm pretty sure it was a sinus infection from, Dude, from breathing all that you. stuff in. But uh, but no, it was funny, you know, uh, just a funny, funny Timonium story. I was telling it to a friend the other day and the, the old Varnes uh, price battles there. Something happened between uh, I think Mikey Varnes was leading the race. Georgie stuffed Mikey Varnes for the lead. Kevin was behind them, but he was a lap down. I think he had crashed and got back up. So Kevin and Mikey, they're cousins, and uh, obviously they were both against Georgie that night. But Georgie made the pass on Mikey, and when Kevin saw that, he went into the corner, never shut off, just went in there for the takeout move on Georgie, and and I think he kind of missed him. I think he clipped him, but he and Kevin ended up laying that laying it down. Georgie ended up winning the race. They ended up DQing Georgie because they said his you know pass was dirty or whatever it was, and. I remember being a little kid, you know, I was probably on a 50 or an 80 or something and, you know, sitting in the pits. And all I remember hearing is, this, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a big group of people ran over, you know, towards Georgie's pits or Kevin's pits or whatever. And it was like, all, all I remember hearing, it got quiet and it was like, I thought we were friends. And then a whole, <laughs> a whole toolbox got flipped over, you know, and the, the pits are all, you know, it's in a concrete floor building and, you know, just freaking wrenches and screwdriver you know the whole toolbox <laughs> across the floor and then all of a sudden it's just like everybody in the whole place swarmed i think georgie's mom ended up punching mikey in the face and it was just like man, if you want was, an education uh, as a child you want to learn about life take or take your kid to Timonium and wait till after the race is in the pits. They'll learn a hell of a lot about what they shouldn't learn because there is always an argument. Yeah. And it's, it's always, it's always going down, but we love it, man. That's what half yeah. the fans come there for, man. It's, it's, it's good stuff, man. We're talking about Timonium in in April. What is the world coming to with uh, oh, racing right now? The, it might be the next race on the schedule. The way it's Yeah. Looking. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, nah, we appreciate the fans tuning in. It was an, another good guest, J.R. Schnabel, Schnabley. We, uh, good to hear from the Glen and, uh, all the fans appreciate you guys. Social media, make sure you check us out. Um, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, subscribe again to our sponsors. Want to give a shout out to Carencer Motorsports, Harley Davidson, Indian motorcycle service, performance and pre-owned sales dealership in Elkhart, Indiana right on the Michigan border. They have 55-plus years of experience. Make sure you check them out if you need service, sales, etc. Go buy a motorcycle. They sponsor Kenny Coolbeth, Team Nilla, race team with rider Sammy Halbert, GrenzerMotorsports.com, and also to Mike Hacker with Presidential Mortgage. If you need a home loan, refinance, or home equity line of credit, contact Mike at Mike.Hacker at Presidential.com. Mike is a good dude, man, and he will get the job done for you. Jake, I ain't got much else. I guess I'm gonna get on the old PS4 here. I mean, they're they're paying money for this iRacing thing. It was like a fifty dollar first prize uh, on Friday I saw, and I'm just like shooting to maybe make the B main right now, which doesn't pay anything. But if there's money up for grabs, I might as well at least make an attempt to practice. 
Yeah, I guess I better I better start practicing if uh, okay. if there's a if there's a PS4 version of it. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, good talking to Jr. That was fun, and uh, we got to keep a lookout for the tank slap and Jeopardy. We did a little test Sweet. the other night. I think we got uh, we got it perfected. Um, just got to get a couple uh, lucky contestants lined up. Um, yeah, we got some good questions. I think that'll be fun. So, uh, yeah, we ran through it. Everything works. We'll probably still have some technical difficulties, which will make it fun, even funnier, I right. guess. But, uh, but yeah, that should be fun. And uh, yeah, flat looking forward tanks, to it. Tank slapping Jeopardy. I don't know. Tank are we gonna Jeopardy, are we gonna get in trouble for calling it Jeopardy or? No, nah. we're good. Yeah. I don't think they'll track us down. But Ge- Geo Party. We'll call it flat, or Tank Slap and Geo <laughs> we Party. We got the podcast. We got the Jeopardy. Carter put up some social media content last week. We asked a bunch of the riders their favorite and least favorite racetracks. We're going to try try and get some content out there for you guys just to uh, give you a little bit of race and fix while we're stuck indoors. But, yeah, t- t- make sure you guys stay safe, take care of one another, and we'll catch you guys soon. Next episode, next week, coming soon. Thanks, everybody. Later.